The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, we are beginning a totally new series, and some of the, some of the speakers are going to share what's been heard, what they've heard from the psalms and the poetry that's been written in here. Now, if you're the kind of person that you process by writing, you, you, you really love the lyrics and music. They speak to you. You have certain artists, people that really just, yeah, they, they get you, right? And you're going to really enjoy these moments because these are people who are trying to figure out what it was like to live out the God life in their, in their time. And here's the funny thing is that people are pretty much consistent no matter what time they live in. And so their stories become our stories in some levels. And sometimes you'll find yourself in their stories. Good morning. I wanted to share a little bit this morning uh, about a psalm that has meant uh, a lot to me. Uh, It's actually a really long psalm, so I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning. Uh, But Psalms 18, uh, since you have your psalms uh, there, uh, is just an incredibly powerful chapter uh, from David. Actually, before he's king, he's been anointed king of Israel, but Saul, the present king, is still chasing him to kill him, basically. And David's been hiding uh, in caves and in the hills. And even though he is the rightful king of Israel, he is still fleeing for his life and really waiting for God's timing. And so this chapter's um, just an incredible, um, really, cry out to, to God. Uh, and it's really reminiscent of that song that, uh, that we just heard, that he, he needs God. He feels very alone. Uh, and, and it's just, it's a scary place to be. So... I'm just going to read verses 6 through 19. I call to God. I cry to God to help me. From his palace, he hears my call. My cry brings me right into his presence, a private audience. Earth wobbles and lurches. Huge mountains shake like leaves, quake like aspen leaves because of his rage. His nostrils flare, billowing smoke. His mouth spits fire. Tongues of fire dart in and out. He lowers the sky. He steps down under his feet, an abyss opens up. He's riding a winged creature, swift on wind wings. Now he's wrapped himself in a trench coat of black cloud darkness. But his cloud brightness bursts through, spraying hailstones and fireballs. Then God thundered out of heaven. The high God gave a great shout, spraying hailstones and fireballs. God shoots his arrows, pandemonium. He hurls his lightnings, a rout. The secret sources of ocean are exposed. The hidden depths of earth lie uncovered. The moment you roar in protest, let loose your hurricane anger. But me he caught, reached all the way from sky to sea. He pulled me out, out of that ocean of hate, that enemy chaos, the void in which I was drowning. They hit me when I was down, but God stuck by me. He stood me up on a wide open field. I stood there saved, surprised to be loved. And that's beautiful. And what I love so much about this psalm is that we see the hugeness of God and the minuteness of man and the minuteness of David. And yet that huge God reaches down into David's despair, into David's longing to be rescued. And he is there for him. And if you read on in the rest of this chapter, David's a warrior. He's a warrior poet, obviously, 
but he is a warrior, and yet he knows that his strength has to come from God. No matter how strong he is, no matter how many battles he can win on his own, he humbles himself to this great God, this God of angel armies, <laughs> this God of billowing smoke and lightning and power and fireballs and hailstorms, this God who is so magnificent, David recognizes that's his source. And that, what, I, what I really love about this passage and what really speaks to me the most and really why I, I wanted to talk about this this morning is because David had great power in and of himself. He really did. And he even had the right to be king. And Saul was in the wrong to be pursuing him. But yet, David, great as he is, submits to God, submits to, to someone greater than himself. And there are so many times in my life when I, I feel like I have a right to be right, <laughs> and maybe I am right, or maybe I have been hurt, or maybe uh, a million things, but it really comes down to, are we submitted to this, to this God who loves us infinitely and wants to use us powerfully, and that he is the God of angel armies. And so what we see here with David, great as he was, he humbles himself to an even greater power. And what I love is when we trust in him, God is our strength, and he is our deliverer. And we know, reading the rest of scripture, that David was the king, and he was the greatest king Israel had ever seen and that Christ himself came from the line of David, and that's pretty awesome. And then also that we see in David, there is an ultimate humility when there's confidence in God. And I think a lot of times when we think of humility, we think of maybe humiliation, like where, where we become less um, in the sense that, you know, we're, we're humiliated and people laugh at us, but I really don't think that's what true humility is. I think true humility is confidence that there is someone greater that we can depend on and we can trust in. And that's what David does. And that's why I believe he was called a man after God's own heart. And then finally, we can have confidence in this God, this God of love and power. Each of us can do that. And this is the God, when we do that, who will surprise us with his love. And I want to be surprised. <laughs> and I do feel that way. And so that's uh, Psalms 18. Thank you for listening. Hello. You don't have to respond. It's all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a, a psalm that has um, spoken to me over the years. Um, so we'll go right to it. It's Psalm 6. Short but sweet psalm. It's also written by David, and it's a, a very passionate plea. Verse 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord. For I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. And, and really here, what we see in the psalm is um, a, a tale of, of two emotions. 
actually there are several motions in it, but we see a, a sudden change in, in the verse. But going back to uh, verses one through three, we see that David is, is praying with Christ and he's asking for relief from his suffering and pain. And, and, and I think it's unique to, to notice here that David, even though he might deserve the rebuke or, or anger that, that God might put on him, he's not, he's not praying for forgiveness. He may deserve rebuke and anger, but in this instance here, he's not praying for forgiveness. What he's praying for is mercy. He, he's come to a point in his life where he, he, in his heart, I'm sure, has prayed for forgiveness, but here he is so desperate, he just prays for mercy. God, have mercy on me. And, and I think that's, that's interesting to remember is that when, when we pray, sometimes we, we find ourselves in, in a, a moment in our life where we, we do need forgiveness, but, but even more than that, we need mercy. And so here David is pleading with God for mercy. This, this became very vivid to me um, as I was in a jail cell one night. And I was there due to unhealthy decisions that I had made. And, and I know that I had uh, made wrong decisions, but as I sat there with every feeling of disgrace and dishonor to the people who knew me, I sat there and I didn't pray for forgiveness. I, I prayed for mercy because that's what I needed at that point. I needed the mercy of God. And then through that, I knew that his forgiveness would come. And then David goes on and David, after praying for relief from suffering, he then prays for deliverance. And he's praying for deliverance from his foes. Um, and here in verse four, he says, oh Lord, turn. So David has a feeling that, that God has actually turned his back on him. And he's asking God, turn back towards me and deliver me. And, and I think as I sat there in that cell, I realized something a little bit different from David. And that was that I had turned my back on God. And that no matter where I had gone, I, I knew that, that God was always right there behind me if I would only turn around and face him. And, and even in that, that low, low point in my life, I, I knew that God was right there in that cell with me. And if I would just turn around, then he would be willing to love me. And what David does here is he, he, he uses reason. And, and don't we do that a lot? When we're praying to God, we use reason. We try and... Um, convince God that he should help us at that time. And here David does the same thing, and he reasons to God's love, which is unfailing, as David says here. David knew that God's love was not like our love. No matter what David has done to God to, to make God angry, God still loved David. And, and I realized that at that point in my life too, that God still loved me even though I was there. And then David goes on to, to reason to God's praise. And, and I think we do this a lot. We, we try and bargain. We say, well, God, if, if you get me out of this moment, I promise I'll go to church every Sunday, or I, I promise I'll pray, or, or whatever I do. And, and here David's doing something similar. He says, God, if, if I die right now, I can't praise you. Don't, don't you want me to praise you? If you save me, then I could go before all the people and I can tell them that it was because of you that I'm here. So he's, he's reasoning with God, which I find interesting because we, we do the same thing. It shows the human element of, of David. Um, and then verse six through seven, excuse me, verse six through seven, he, um, 
he, he's speaking about illness. And, and David con conveys, and, and this is such a, a passionate point in, in this psalm. He's telling God how hurt and burdened he is at the moment. And, and I think there's, um, there's healing of the soul in that. Yeah, God knows where we're at and he knows what we're feeling. But, but I think as we express that to God, that that is the moment where our soul begins to heal. And then the last section here, verse 8 through 10, is where David kind of switches his thought. In the first seven verses, he's praying to God. And then the last three, he's actually no longer praying to God, but he's warning his enemies, the, the people who have kind of put him in the situation that he's in. And he's, he's confident, and he says that, not I think God will, will rescue me here, or I think God will come through, but he says God will come through, and you will be ashamed for what you've done to me. And, and I think the example that we can take away from that is the, the confidence that we can have in our prayer life, knowing that though we can't see God and oftentimes we can't hear him or his voice sounds like it's our voice, that we can take confidence in our prayers to God that he does hear him. And, and even if they don't get answered the way that we want them to be answered, that they are still being heard and that God's plan is bigger than ours. And it's not just about the individual. Um, so, so as we see David go through this, we see a, a spectrum of emotions that David has. And I, I think what I take away from this and what made it so personal to me is that God desires me and God desires you. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life. And he is right there if you would only turn around and allow him to work what he can do in your life. And the other thing is that God's love is, is bigger and greater than our own. That he loves us no matter where we are at in our lives. And, and lastly, I think it's, t what I take away from this is communication with God. It's that here we see that David just bears out his soul. And I think that we need to do the same, and, and too often we don't. But when we bear out our soul to God, that's when our soul begins to heal. So that's why this psalm has been so important to me. Thank you. So you ever have a guy that says, I know a guy, you know, and, and no matter what it is that you're going to do, they know a guy. And so they always start the story or they finish the story with, oh, I know a guy. Okay, I know a guy. As a small boy, uh, I remember this, listening to this story, hearing the story about this guy, and I just kind of, he grew up in violence. There's just no way to put it. His father had a, had a drinking problem. I guess it really wasn't a problem. He just drank. You know, it was not a problem at all, apparently. And, and because his father was an emotional man, a, a sentimental man, he, his emotions were very close to the surface. And so when they were positive, it was good, and he was, seemed to be safe, but it really wasn't. Because when he was frustrated and angry, he would take it out on some of his kids. And for some reason, I think, because his son was sort of a mirror image of him, he took it out on him. And... Occasionally he went to school well, with bruises, sometimes even a scar on his face, bandaged up. And so it struck me that folks would think it was odd that in his life he would act out in violence over and over again. And then there was this strange 
mystical experience that he wished to enjoy in trying to connect to God, but there was this context that somehow he thought that if, if his own parents would beat him, he must be some sort of a loathsome, hateful thing. That maybe even God wouldn't connect with him. Oddly enough, in his attempts to connect with God, he had this powerful experience. But it wasn't an experience that connected him, it was an experience that taught him the distance between he and God. So junior high went on and more experiences were negative, some positive, some sexual mismanagement began in his life. High school continued, some more fights, some trouble. Oddly enough, when he left school, he still was looking for that connection to God and he thought, well, if I can somehow maybe learn about God, maybe that, that'll be the thing. And so he tried that and that still wasn't working. And so maybe what he thought was that it's just love what I'm looking for, for someone to love me, someone to, who made me have sense of my life, fulfilled me, completed me. And so he found a person who loved him, and, but there was still a lot of baggage and a lot of mismanagement. The, the funny thing is, is that I know that during that time he would ask himself, how did I get here? What got into me? Nothing really got into him until it was coming out of him. And he was the kind of guy that would blame everything else or thought that all these external causes were bringing out the worst in him when actually the worst of him was him. It was just who he was. So there was that momentary calming effect of the monster. That, in fact, that's what this guy used to call that other self that he knew existed in him. He called it the monster. And um, you first married... You know, things went well like it went well in this guy's life. The funny thing is, is that the monster was still there. And it came out again. Over and over and over again. And some of those moments that included going to jail, being arrested, courts, crying wife, damaged things in the house, still would ask himself, how did I get here? What got into me? What am I thinking? Finally, after a pretty significantly bad episode, he decided, I'm going to choose restoration over my reputation. And so he, he went to a friend and he just vomited up everything. Uh, confession. And he just told them everything. I mean, everything. Every dark, horrible little secret. He just was going to blow the dust out. And he figured, well, if I'm rejected, if I'm not cared for, then so be it. But I can no longer pretend to be somebody I'm not. You know, see, that's a bit of integrity, right? You're, there's there's an integration of who you are and what you say you, you believe together. And the funny thing is, is that even our own language, we, we talk about, man, I gotta, gotta get my act together. I gotta put my stuff together. I gotta get my stuff together. You know, I gotta figure it out. Some of you are getting that, some of you get that later. Because we, we kind of intrinsically know that, that part of our madness is living two separate lives, like two souls in one person. So, It used to bother this guy 
Because on top of everything else, he was also arrogant. He, I mean, he was smart. He could observe and see things and sense things. And so he knew, and this is what happens when you, when you put on the wrong filter, when you have the wrong context, everything you see is distorted. It seems to make perfect sense to you, but it's distorted. It's not reality. And so when people will try to explain to him, now this is, you know, this is wrong, this is not helpful, this is not good, because he had an understanding of God, like, does God really care about this? Are you kidding me? Does God really care about who I sleep with, how I spend my money, where I go? What, what entertainment I consume. It seems to me he's kind of a control freak, don't you think? I mean, with all the universe that he's running, all that he's created, this seems to be a little bit minor. Does God really care about, I left the blank. See, but that was the wrong question. The question he should have asked was, does God care about me? And the funny thing is, is that after he had that moment of just vomiting up all his life, he heard for the first time, as if he had heard it for the first time, I do care about you. I love you. And it was almost as if there was like this, um, you've seen those movies where, um, especially like mythology, there's the magic potion where the wizard or whoever just drops a little drop into the fluid or the person and you know, he starts to crackle into life, you know, little veins of, of, of green or life, whatever it might be. I don't know how to explain it, but that's how he explains what happened to his own soul. It wasn't overnight. And there wasn't as if there weren't some struggles. And it wasn't as if there wasn't maybe even the call to go back to something that was dark. But he couldn't go back. So when I first experienced that love from God, I, I realized I was no longer capable of calling myself a Christian, though because it seemed limiting. I was just smitten, like I've said before. That's why I say, I'm not really a Christian, I'm just smitten, I'm in love with Jesus. I was like that kid in junior high school that first gets kissed, you know what that experience was? You know, you got that goofy smile on your face, you know. <laughs> you're all buck-toothed or pimply, but you know, you just think you're all that in a bag of chips, because you know, someone kissed you. Man, I lived off that high for months. And I was that guy that everything started, hey, God loves me, you know, God loves you too, you know, that guy. Let me read this psalm to you now and explain why it speaks to me. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, nothing it's deprived of its warmth. So here David is just, man, you know, God's this incredible being. But then, God, but then David takes a turn in the psalm and he starts to speak about who this God is to him in the words. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshes my soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, so it makes me wise instead of simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, 
and they give joy to my heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, and so they've given light to my eyes. And the fear of the Lord, I found it to be pure, and it endures forever. So the ordinance of the Lord are certain, and all of them are good and righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold, and they're sweeter than honey, even the honey from a honeycomb. And so by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from deliberate, willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Let me add, my restorer. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.